I promised Michael and Heather that I would not waste a sentence with you today because they're up there trying to keep the attention of some fourth through sixth graders right now. So let's press into this. Um, thanks for being flexible with us to go after something like this today. All right. There are a million sermons that we could start a new year with, and we have chosen to go with this theme. Living porn free in 2020. Why would we do this? It's because there is a note to self that has been written in the last 10 journal notebooks that I use. And it's been the same note. And if I showed it to you, you would read it and it would say something like this. Mad. I write to myself in my Don't forget. We don't address pornography often enough or directly enough. It is a devastating reality to the guy you just talked with or the couple that you just met with. That's what I write. Our people need hope and handles for this fight. That's a note that I've written for years and want to remember in love for you to go back to this as we feel led by the Spirit. That's why we're doing this today. That fight only gets harder for you and for me as technology gets better and our culture gets worse. Um, we all know that lust has been a part of the human wiring since the fall into sin. Even if we lived on a remote island with no cell tower, no screens at all, we know that we would still struggle with this sin. I was reading Jonathan about Jonathan Edwards over the break. He was a pastor 300 years ago in Northampton, Massachusetts. There was no internet. There was no TVs or computers, none of it. And in his journal, he writes about how he had to do very complicated math sums in his head to distract himself from thinking sexually impure thoughts about Sarah, his soon-to-be wife. Do you see what I'm saying? This sin is not new to us just because of the world that we live in. It's been, it's been a part of us for a long time. Technology is not to blame for our issues, but everybody also knows that it seriously complicates things right now, right? Unlike any time in human history ever before right now, we, in a moment, with complete privacy, with almost zero chance of being found out by anyone among us, literally in our laps, in our hands, we now have the ability to view sexual images and videos just like that. And we live in a culture that has sexualized or pornified everything. And so if you just try to be a normal person in Bostonian culture, every five minutes or less, there is a door open to you, an opportunity, a trigger, an invitation to step into this sin. I know it, and you know it. That's why we're going to talk about it. But what is also true is that we have 
We have his spirit. We have his power to find freedom from all of our sins. And my hope is that by talking about it, you would be infused with that hope and with some handles for how does our church go about this fight. All right, so if you stepped in here today, that's what we're about to do. Let's pray and we'll do it. Father, my words are useless, but yours are sharp and sweet and helpful and true. And so I pray that we would hear them in our time together. Would you be gracious to us? Accomplish your work man by man, woman by woman right now. I pray that you would do it. Amen. All right, let me talk to the whole room. For some of us, this is not an issue at all. You would struggle with porn about as often as I would go to the barber, which is how often nowadays. Never. Unfortunately. I see all these guys with cool haircuts, and I go, hey, if I had hair, I would do that right there. I love that line. If this is you, awesome. Praise God. Whether that's just because this sin has just never been a thing for you or because you have found freedom in Christ over these years, we rejoice with you in that. Please also know this sermon is not a waste of your time. What I will do in the last third of our time together applies directly to whatever your sin struggles are. Is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it greed? Is it judgmentalism? Is it gossip? Is it fear? Is it unbelief? Is it alcohol? Whatever it is, this sermon's going to help you. For some of us, porn is just a fleeting problem. So you struggle with this sin about as often as I wash my button-down shirts. Guess how often that is? Twice a year. Grace goes in my closet, and she looks in the hangers, and she goes, this is so disgusting. Wash these shirts. I'm like, all right, I'll get her out. For some of us, that's, that's this conversation. It's not a debilitating struggle. It feels like if you had to turn off that switch, you could click it and walk away, and it would be no problem. You have the capacity to do it, and we would love for you to get there. But I also need you to know that for some of us, this is a devastating reality in our lives. Um, you saw Ratatouille? You know the little rat gets on his head and he grabs the hair and then he can make the fake chef do whatever he wants him to do? That's how this works in some of our lives. Only instead of a cute little, you know, rat, can a rat be cute? Instead of, I forget his name, instead of that rat, Think, 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 a horror movie monster, just with its claws embedded deep in the back of your mind and your soul. And there is weekly pressure or daily pressure. Whatever it tells you to look at, you feel like, I'm just not, I can't shake free. For some of us, that's our experience. And we would say, if you honestly put me in a lie detector, I would say, I have no hope of being free from this sin. I cannot get around it. Uh, last Sunday, we didn't have church here, so I played ball at the Y with the guys that play on Sundays. I usually don't get to do that. This was a different group of guys. 
There was a guy there that was 6'3", which is exactly my height, but he was 280 pounds. And not fat, it was like everywhere. He was just thick. Um, I'm 6'3", 205, so that's the difference. I can pretty much deal with anybody that I've ever played against at the Y until I tried dealing with this guy. I could not move him. I could not get around him. I could not keep him from getting anywhere he wanted. He just manhandled me. I was hopeless against that extra 75 pounds of weight. This is how some of us feel about pornography. We may even have a tight rein on so many other passions, but this one just manhandles us. Sometimes the root of this is just straight lust, right? We just have this thing in us that wants to watch, view, participate in things we should not, but we long for it. And porn is like nitrous for that lust. For some of us, it's more comfort. Our life is like not what we want it to be. It's not going the direction that we hope for it to go. And so we retreat to this thing that just makes us feel good. And we're kind of in control. And it comforts us. And it goes our way. And so it's a crutch for us to deal with what's not great in our lives. And then for some of us, we look at porn out of spite or anger. It's a passive-aggressive way of getting at the people who are not making our sex lives be what we want them to be. And some of you have told me that it's an anger at God, right? Why have you not given me a spouse? I'll show you if you don't want to give me a sex life, porn will. For some of you, it's anger at somebody who broke up with you and you thought they were going to be your lover. And now you're stuck on your own again. You're going to show them. For some of you, it's a marriage where you're saying, the warmth, the availability that I deserve is not there. Fine. I'll go look at porn. I'll show them. Whether it's lust or it's comfort or it's anger, sometimes it's an even deeper, darker way that we've been sinned against that triggers porn use. Whatever it is, wherever you are at, I need you to know that in this church, you are safe, and we are offering you a gospel that heals and changes and frees us from all sin, this one included. All right, I'm going to do is these three things. I want you to see porn for what it is. I want you to settle in your hearts. We're going to be done with this, and I want to give you a few action items to take with you from this room. All right, the first thought is this, and it's positive, and we have to start here. Sex is good. Please hear that from me as your pastor. Sex is so good. It's a gift of God that was given to us for his glory, for our joy. When the triune God created our race, he bifurcated the sexes. You ever heard that big word before? He created us, male and female, on purpose. He made us equal in dignity and in worth. And he made us different or distinct in glory and calling and 
biology. Two different bodies with complementary sexual organs built to intercourse with one another. God thought that up. God designed that. God called it good. He also infused a few purposes in sex. I put them up here for you. The first one is that sex is meant for unity. I'm looking at many married couples and many about-to-be-married couples, and this is such a glorious truth. Sex is reserved for the safe confines of a covenant of marriage, a man and a woman who have pledged their lives to one another for good. And sex is meant to bring them together in a way nothing else can do. Exclusive. A husband and a wife share an intimacy physically that nobody else in the world gets invited into. God meant for that. He meant for your marriage to be super tight, and he said, sex is going to be one of the means in which I make this relationship unlike any other. Sex is also meant for fruitfulness. The scripture shouts this to us. God designed things to work this way so that sons and daughters would come into the world through fathers and mothers, and they would blaze God's glory across this world for generations. Sex is meant for that to happen. Now, when we say that, we don't mean that every single sex act ever between a husband and a wife is a failure if it doesn't issue in a pregnancy. That's not what we mean. We mean one of the purposes of sex is that it would be open to that eventuality. And so to separate sex from fruitfulness is to make a separation that God never intended for. And of course, third thing, please hear me. Sex was meant for pleasure. God did not need to infuse our anatomies with the capacity for thrill that they have. But he did. Because he's a good God who loves his creatures. Sex is meant to be more than mechanical. It's supposed to be fun and free and fulfilling and safe in its God-given context. This is why we read at the end of Genesis 2. And man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We could do an hour on this, but what a vision for the creative intention for sex. One man, one woman, one super tight life, physically united, joyful, no shame. Here's what porn does. Porn assaults this vision and the God behind it by removing it from its God-given context and removing sex from its God-given purposes. Porn is sex without without, 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 without
porn is sex without fruitfulness. Porn is sex with only gross, self-referential pleasure. Porn is a misuse and a mockery of sex. And so the second big idea to see is this, that porn is bad. Okay, when we say that something is bad, we mean that it is both sinful and harmful. Something can be harmful, not good for you, but not necessarily morally evil or sinful, not necessarily a defiance or a transgression of the law of God. So eating $30 of Mexico Lindo at 10 p.m. on a Friday night is bad. But when we say bad, we don't mean morally evil. We just mean it's not going to go well for you. John Turner attempting to guard me in the post is harmful. There's no law against it, but it's just not going to go well for John. Living in New Jersey. Cheering for the 49ers. Bad, but not sinful. Then there are things that are both harmful and sinful. We could go down that list for you. And pornography is on that list. Let's do some scripture here. This is the seventh commandment and the moral law of God. Very simple and straightforward. It says, you shall not commit adultery. This is the foundational, moral, sexual command in the law of God. The foundational one. God loves marriage. And so he hates anything that threatens, weakens, sullies marriage. And with this command, he is forbidding adultery in his world. But he is also doing much more than that. He is fencing off all sexual sin from our lives. So here's how we don't read a command like this. We don't read this and go, oh, no adultery? Fine. Fine. But I can fornicate until the cows come home because nobody's actually married in that arrangement. You hear that? That's not how we read this. We don't read this and go, oh, no adultery? Fine. But I can look at porn all I want. I'm not married to anybody, and they're not married to anybody either. No. Christians have always received this beautiful law of God as having super broad application for our lives. It is speaking to all manner of sexual sin outside of God's creative intent. We do this because Jesus taught us to do this. In his Sermon on the Mount, he said, so you have heard, it said, you shall not commit adultery. Boom. Absolutely. But then he drops this bomb after reaffirming the law of God. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Does everyone feel this? So let's just settle this question in the life of this church. Is pornography sinful? Yes. Any looking with lustful intent, 
someone who is not yours is morally wrong. Now that in itself would be good enough freedom, reason to go fight for freedom together. But it's not only sinful, it is harmful. Now I know you guys live in the same city that I do. And the entirety of my world and my culture insists not only that what I just said is ridiculous, that pornography is morally sinful, but even that it is bad or harmful, that we're just blinded by our 1950s taboos, but porn doesn't hurt anybody, it's no big deal. You're a man, you gotta deal with these urges somehow, one way or another. It is what it is, it's consenting adults. There's no collateral damage. Porn is not bad for anybody. I'm old enough to know when the internet came into existence. Oh, I was like, wow. When I was engaged to Grace, I used to send her love messages. You know how I did it? Through fax. I would fax her at work. 37 days until we get married. They would move to the fax machine. And she would see it slowly come out of the fax machine. Then the internet came. Along with the internet came so many beautiful tools for gospel advance and a whole new way of porn grabbing the hearts of men and women. And I was talking to a buddy that I went to high school with and I was teaching with at the time. And I remember him telling me about how he was living with his friends and they got high-speed internet and they were watching porn. And he said it to me flippantly and he was laughing and he was joking with me about what they were watching together. And he chuckled like it was a joke. And I remember being so grieved in that conversation and by that response. I don't have the time, that, but that's not true. Just go home and Google the destructive effects of pornography, and you can read about it from both Christian and secular sources. Both of them will tell you that pornography kills desire, relationships, marriages, families, consciences. If you ever looked into the industry itself, it would steal your breath, the damage that is done, especially to girls. It hurts people, A to Z, porn is bad. All right, so the first thing that we need to do is to resolve, to settle in our souls as a church and as individuals that we're done, we're done enabling, we're done participating, we're done indulging, we're out. Scripture has a beautiful way of thinking about this. These are words from our father, Job. He says these words. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. I love the spirit of these words. Job had seen the holiness of God. He had seen the awfulness of sexual sin, and he got real serious, and he resolved in his soul, and he said, no, no, I'm not going to chuckle about this. I'm not going to laugh about this. I'm not going to minimize this. I'm going all in. I am resolving. If God will be with me, 
I want to be free. This truth is in your Bible to help you know how you and I need to think about this sin. If we are not there, if you are not there, nothing else your pastor says to you is going to help, right? There's no reason for me to keep talking. This is the intensity, the zeal that we want you to bring to this fight. But that's not all we have to bring. We need those good intentions, and we need them, to be matched with good gospel actions, intentions plus actions. I don't know why this came to my head, but in getting ready to preach, I said, I'm going to tell everybody that we can't go at this the way that Michael Scott went at his bankruptcy. I don't know if anybody in here watches The Office. It's a complicated thing to do, right? It's a cultural artifact. It's so funny and so insightful in so many ways about the world we live in. And then it's so godless that, you know, you go back and forth on, like, should I love this? Should I hate this? What should I do here? We could talk about that later. But there's this one episode of this show called The Office. Felipe told me about it. And, uh, the boss found out he was in big, big financial personal trouble and debt, right? And so he knew, I got to do something about this debt. I got to dig at it. And this is all that he did. He quieted the office down, and he went, everyone, I have an announcement. I declare bankruptcy. And then there's this pause, and then everybody in the office looks at him like, um, that's not how this works. You have to go do some stuff. So that's nice, but there's more to this story. Same thing here. We have to resolve at some point that God is better than anything, including sex. And I'm in with him. And if you will not stand up in a room and say, I declare that to be true, and I want it. We can't help you. But if you will get there, and if God in his grace will get you there, then there are things that we can do to be free and to live out that resolve. There are about 2,000 pro tips for eliminating pornography from your life. I say, do them all. The filters, the accountability, changing your habits, get a second job, know your triggers of the time of day. Happy to talk with you about all of those. But all I want to finish with is clear vision for you of how we as a church go about this fight fundamentally, essentially. And these apply to all of our fights. We'll finish here. Four things. Number one is this. We believe the gospel. This is our greatest weapon in our fight with sin. Too relentlessly take hold of the unshakable truth that because of the cross of Christ, all of our sins, both the ones we have committed and the ones that we will commit, all of them are fully and finally forgiven. Nothing can separate us from the love of God for us. In Christ, we are his. Even if we struggle with sin until the day that we die, our future is perfectly secure in him. 
the first time I ever actually talked with anybody about this sin. I was 19, and I talked with the chaplain of the dorm that I lived in in college. And uh, you know what a third-person confession of sin is? Do you know how those work? Hey, I got this friend, and he's really screwed up. Can we talk about him? That's how I went about this. And I said, uh, here's, what he's, here's what he's struggling with, him. And what do you think I should tell him? And I'll never forget that the guy paused, and he said, well, the first thing that we know for sure is that your friend is not a Christian. Because if he was, he wouldn't be sinning in this way. So you ever seen those videos when somebody messes with a horse and the horse just goes, kapah, and they fly like 17 feet. They just get drilled right in the jaw with the hoof. That is what I felt like in that moment. I was like, I knew it. I'm not really a Christian. I'm way too much of a sinner. But I hold no anger in my heart at that kid. He was 21 at the time. He just didn't know what he was talking about. I should have been talking to someone more mature and theologically sound, so my bad. But I need everybody to hear me right now. A Christian is not someone who doesn't struggle with sin. A Christian is someone who won't settle for sin. And those are two fundamentally different Here's our favorite verse on this. This is the Apostle Paul, born again by the grace of God, trying to know how to deal with indwelling sinfulness. And he says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Meaning, I'm all in with God. I take a bullet for him. I get the tattoo. I want God more than anything. My soul is alive to him. But I see in my members another law waging war. In other words, even though the deepest center of me is God's, there's this other me that just wants to sin and loves it and can't stop. Every saint ever has dealt with this. This is exactly how this specific sin of porn works for so many of us. We go, I love God more than anything. I never want to sin again. And three days later, we're sinning again. Yes. Welcome to the gospel life. What is Paul's remedy? It is the gospel. He says these words. Who's going to deliver me from this? God. Through Jesus Christ. The greatest weapon in your battle with sin is the gospel, rightly understood, rightly believed, rightly reveled in. It infuses you with a hope that you can keep going forward no matter what. Are you there? I mean, if not, I'll stop right now and just pray that God would cause your heart to come alive to his grace in the gospel. It's our first weapon. It's the one that we shoot the most. Okay, super fast. super fast, just these others, these others so that you're aware, you're aware of them. The second one we say is this. Love your Bible. The psalmist said, how can a man keep his way pure? How? By living according to your word. When Jesus was tempted fiercely in a moment of great weakness, how did he fight those temptations? 
with the words of Scripture, the words of Scripture, the words of Scripture. When we immerse ourselves in the words and the stories of redemption and the themes and the truths of the Bible, it aligns us with reality. It gives us a vision of the betterness of God than the crap in this world. It helps us to see the power of God to change people from the inside out. God meets us in his word. Simple example of this. I'm just reading through Genesis, what would you call it, devotionally, personally, and I come across the story of Joseph, young guy, height of his sex drive, and he is handsome as anything, and he's single, and his life's been terrible up to this point, and he's working in this house with this cougar. I'll define it for you if you don't know what it is. And this cougar is fully available to Joseph, pleading with him to be with her sexually. And in my Bible, I find this glorious truth of my brother Joseph. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. What a help this truth is. If you're unsure if you can actually love God more than you love your sin and pursue sexual purity. Here's a brother who, by the power of God, had it right there before him, right there. And God held on to his purity. This is why we say, love your Bibles. They will be helpful to you. Many of you try to fight this sin without loving the words of Scripture. Don't do that. It's a great weapon in this war. Third one is this. Walk in community. Here's our verse for this. We should plaster it on a wall somewhere. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is true. We have tried desperately to build a culture in this church where nobody feels like they have to duck and dodge because of their sin, where you are free to talk to somebody. That starts from the top with our three pastors. This is what we do together. We walk in the light. We share our struggle so that we may be free. If you have not done this and you step into 2020, and porn is an issue for you, please do this. If you're a man, talk to another man in this church. If you're a woman, talk to another woman in this church. They are for you. They will be with you. It is as we walk in the light that we find forgiveness and freedom and true community happens. Even if you are in a marriage, please walk in the light with your Spouse. Just do it. Send a text, write an email, ask for a conversation. Open that up so that they will know your heart's desire and so that you can move to purity. And please, if you are the one receiving that walking in the light or that confession, try and respond with grace, with love, with understanding. If not, we become a bunch of people who just hide from one another, and there's no light, just closets and doors and darkness. Take this invitation to be free by walking in community.
And then last weapon is this one. We dig in for the long haul. One of the greatest things I was ever discipled in in fighting sin is trajectory. It's not about where you are in this moment. It's about where are you headed? What direction are your shoulders going in? If you try and fight pornography with a minute-by-minute ballast of how I'm doing, you're dead. If that is your only timeline. That is not a gospel timeline. God promises a future where we are glorified and we will never sin again. Oh, that is coming. He also promises us maturity, sanctification, growth over time in this life as we exercise these means of grace. So don't ever quit because today was lousy or last night was a mess. Always think, I'm going somewhere. My shoulders are in the right direction. Maybe I will run. Maybe I will walk. Maybe you're like me and it feels like I am on the ground in die hard, you know, with the glass shards everywhere, and I'm crawling through glass and with blood. But I know the direction I'm going. That's my big prayer for 2020, that on December 31st, you would say, there were some wins, there were some losses, but I'm further down the road in delighting in God and experiencing his grace. I'm doing it in community, through his word, by the power of the gospel. You can do it. God can do it in you. Let's go for it together. All right, let's pray. Father, the last thing we want to do is preach a sermon and forget about it in 10 minutes. So I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would defeat our enemy. You would overcome our lusts, our comforts, our anger. You would convince us of the goodness of your law. We would find freedom from our sin. Father, I pray if anyone ever walks into our church and thinks these people have it together, that pastor must be like really sinless, that we would have forged a culture where that thought would be ridiculous. Every one of us needs your your power and your grace, your patience with us. So we ask for it, but we also resolve together today. Sexual sin is not going to define seven mile I pray that we would be the most pure community that we've ever been a part of. Make it so, I pray. Amen.